Welcome to the Internal Communications Podcast with me, Katie McCauley. This week sees the publication of State of the Sector 2019. Gatehouse, the agency that produces the report, calls it the definitive global survey of the internal communication profession. This is the 11th state of the sector and the biggest, most international yet, but as you'll hear, not necessarily the most positive or the most optimistic. And we've just seen the publication of another major annual survey recently, the 2019 Edelman Trust Barometer. Now, this survey has been tracking the state of trust in institutions around the world since 2000. This year, it announced an important new shift in trust. My employer has become the most trusted institution in the world. That's ahead of NGOs, business in general, the media, and you won't be surprised to hear, politicians. In the battle for truth, with the rise of fake news, 58% of employees are now looking to their employer to be a trustworthy source of information. Employees want their organisations to empower them with information, not just about their company, but the world in general. And they want and expect their CEOs to speak up, to speak out about important issues of the day. Both of these reports have, I think, profound implications for internal communications. So I invited Jenny Field to talk me through both of them. Now, Jenny is the president-elect of the Chartered Institute of Public Relations here in the UK. She's the co-founder of the IC Crowd and runs her own consultancy, Redefining Communications. Jenny has more than 14 years' experience in communications, working across the public sector, defence, advertising, retail and hospitality industries. Now, for those of you who know Jenny either personally or by reputation, you'll know she is a clear, critical thinker who, well, let's put it this way, she's never afraid to speak her mind. So expect plenty of fresh insight and plenty of telling it like it is as we unpick what these reports mean for the internal communications profession. We're here to talk about two quite big reports that have just been published. And it seems to me on the face of it that the Gatehouse one potentially makes for quite pessimistic reading, whereas I think the Edelman Trust Barometer potentially presents something of an opportunity for us. Would that be a fair assessment? I think that would be fair. I think that there are elements in the Gatehouse report that show us growing as a profession, and I think that's going to take us some time. But what's really exciting is the Edelman Trust Barometer because that really opens the door for us to have conversations with CEOs and for the first time talk about employees as being more important than shareholders. Yes, it was great to see Mr Richard Edelman actually stand up on stage and say that. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Absolutely. And and also customers as well. So it's just nice to have that reinforced when it's something that as an internal communicator we've been talking about for such a long time. To have employees at the front of the queue, as it were, would be amazing. So let's dig into the state of the sector first. So I think the first thing to say is this is the biggest and most international survey that Gatehouse have produced so far. So 820 responses from over 40 countries. Should we talk about team structure first? So for the first time in the 11 years that Gatehouse have been doing this, half of respondents, that's 52%, say that their IC function is part of an integrated corporate comms PR and corporate affairs team. Now, that was just 30% back in 2015. So this is a shift. Are you pleased to see IC teams part of an integrated comms function? Yeah, I'm delighted, actually. And it's interesting because we've seen over the years in the research from VMA Group, who used to report the Inside Insight report, that IC was moving more into HR. And that always worried me slightly. I've sat in most functions. I've sat in marketing, commercial, HR, all of them. And I had a really great commercial HR team that I was part of, and they were expecting me to take on the role of supporting the entire organisation. I think the risk sometimes when you're just in HR is that you're only focused on the people agenda and you're less exposed to public affairs, business strategy, business acumen, which we know is a weakness for internal communicators. So to see the internal and the external coming together 
for me is absolutely brilliant and absolutely the direction of travel that we should be going in. Yes. I mean, I'm going to probably say something rather unpopular, but over the years... (laughs) You're in good company. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's fair to say that over the years, the most unhappiest clients I've met generally seem to be the ones that were reporting into HR and I think possibly for exactly what you've said that the shortest possible route to the chief executive makes for the happiest IC teams in general so if you're part of a department as you say that includes maybe investor relations corporate affairs community affairs yeah it's got to be a good thing absolutely and I think it does depend what your HR function is like and what its strategy is and, and how they work Like I said, I was really fortunate to be with one that was absolutely commercially focused. But I do hear horror stories, unfortunately, of people just being sucked into sort of just values and behaviours work, which is important. But I also want to support the change programmes and the IT strategy and the business strategy and everything else. So yes, yes. So good news. Good news. I was surprised that only 57% of people said that their role is solely dedicated to internal comms. I guess it's hard to say whether that's good news or bad news or indifferent unless we know what the rest of their role involves and what responsibilities they have. Does that strike you as slightly odd? For me, it depends what level of the organisation the people are working at. We don't know that from the report. It doesn't say whether they're junior, senior and and Mm. what level they're working. It doesn't surprise me. I work with the guys at PR Academy teaching on the diploma and the certificate. And I think more and more people, certainly at a junior level, are doing a little bit of everything. And that's often because of the maturity of the internal comms in that organisation. And without knowing, like you said, what the other bits are that they're doing, it's mm. hard to say. If they're also doing a bit of public affairs and a bit of marcoms and a bit of PR, then this is great. Because yes. actually everything's nicely joined up. Employees are being seen as a very important stakeholder in that mix. So I don't think it's good or bad. And I wonder if there's other people in the organisation who are 100% dedicated to internal comms. Yes. Um, and we don't know that. Necessarily. No. Yes. So it would be nice maybe in future just to dig into that and find out what those other responsibilities are. I think so. I think knowing what they are and knowing the level of the person that's responded would be yes. really helpful because then you can sort of see a bit more about the makeup of what their role is and what they're doing. Now, in terms of our activities as I see teams and functions, I was obviously very pleased to see encouraging two-way communication very high on the list. And Gatehouse seemed to be pretty concerned that there's too many that say they are never or only occasionally involved in providing comms training and coaching. Are they right to be concerned about that? That's now bottom of the list. Mm, I know. And that for me was terrifying. So (laughs) I'd agree with them that it's something to worry about. But it's something to worry about for several reasons. But interestingly, encouraging two-way communication is high. So encouraging would suggest that you are advising and coaching people because you're not necessarily doing that yourself. But I think only occasionally being involved in that comms training and coaching is probably why we're not seeing a shift in line manager communication improving. And actually your role as an internal communicator is to advise and support and and enable the organisation to communicate effectively, efficiently and in an engaging way. And if you're not doing that, then for me, you're not doing the job of what an internal communicator should be doing. Yes, I mean, I think later on, Gatehouse just go on to say, well, we've just surrendered the battle with line managers. We've just waved a white flag on it. We've been trying for a long time and we just don't seem to be getting anywhere with that one. No, and I don't know why we're not. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to look at remote workers last year and we've got some research on that coming out this year. But part of that is to look at what is the challenge with line managers and that specific workforce. But... It's not something that we should give up on, but it takes time and investment of time and people to do it. And that's where we struggle. You know, Mm. we struggle with that. It's going to take six months in order for us to do this line manager engagement programme. And organisations don't want to wait six months. They want instant change. They want behaviours to suddenly switch into something different. And it takes time. And that's the biggest frustration that I have is this need for it to be just so quick. So we shouldn't be giving up on this line manager support. And I was thinking the other day, actually, about the Larkin and Larkin book that was Mm. written, now probably 25 (laughs) years ago now. And that boiled it down to something that you could do that was quite simple. Give line managers a piece of paper in their back pockets that just had the key talking points so that whenever they were in conversation with someone that reports to them, they can just have that on-point, confident conversation. So... 
is it possible that over the years we've grown it into this massive challenge when actually we could maybe tackle it in a sort of bite-sized chunk kind yeah, of way, maybe? I, I think you're right. I think we've made it so big now that it's mm. become just too hard. Whereas actually, if you took one part of your business, tested it, you know, tried mm. it, measured it, moved on, you know, yes. it's doing it sort of softly, softly. You don't have to do a massive programme over the whole organisation in one year you know, just do it in bite-sized chunks. There's yeah. loads of resources out there to help people look at other organisations that have done it, have done it well. And it's just doing it step by step. Yes. You don't have to, you know, run up the mountain in one yes, go. Yes, exactly. You know, take your time, but yeah. don't give up because no. they are such an important stakeholder group um, Absolutely. for us. So Absolutely. don't give up. No, good. Excellent. Now, in terms of positioning and influence, I think there seems to be some good news here. So IC feels it has a clear purpose. It owns the narrative of the organisation in terms of vision and values. But there is a slightly worrying 43% who are confessing that IC doesn't have a long-term vision or strategy. A long-term vision for IC? Fairly necessary. Yeah, necessary. And I laugh because I think... We don't know what other functions are doing. So given no, the current, true. you know, political and economic climate, I can't imagine that lots of functions have got 12-month, two-year strategies at the moment. So I think taking us in isolation is sometimes a bit tricky. However, yes. there is a need to be longer-term planned, if you like. But I think that we are seeing some positive results. So even though we're not necessarily where we want to be, the increase on last year is across the board in terms of us having a plan. So I think in 2018... It was 50% had a written 12-month plan, and, and in 2019, it's 57. So it's going in the right direction. If it jumped 20% points, we'd be worried. Or not um, believe it. Or not believe it, exactly. So, you know, that softly, softly approach is really good. But I do think a long-term vision is important. And I wonder then, coming back to the point of the economics and the political environment, is whether or not businesses have got a long-term vision at the moment. You know, the Brexit mm. and the uncertainty around that, I think makes it quite challenging for people to know where they're going and the amount of change and the pace of organisations. Mm. I think we are being more reactive than we ever have been. Mm. And actually to take the time to stop and plan is really important. And I hope that as we get maybe some stability later on in the year, people do take that, you know, that just a day to just sit in a room with your team or mm. with someone to help you just work through that thinking and pull that plan together. But the mm. business strategy has got to be there to enable you to do that. I wonder how much that's fluctuating at the moment as well. Yes, I think you might be right. I was listening to a Shell Holtz podcast just a week ago who said, if there's one thing you should do in 2019 before you do anything else is read your organisation's business plan. Mm. But I agree with you at the moment, that might be in a state of flux for yeah. a lot of organisations. Yeah. And, I think, yeah, and I think that's also okay. So I think we have to be quite accepting that at the moment things are in a bit of state of flux. We can't try and plan when we can't. We have to mm. be able to mould to the organisation what it's doing, what the climate is telling us we need to do. And then when it's appropriate, then we can really roll our sleeves up and get in the post-it notes and the sharpies and, <laughs> and really get, get into the weeds a bit. But at the moment, it might be rolling your sleeves up and just doing what you need to do to get through day by day. Yes, absolutely. It seems like that might be what's happening. I mean, reading between the lines, it seems that the good news for IC is that leaders understand the value of internal communications. But we've got this 30% of IC teams who are still not, after all this time, mm-hmm. treated as the trusted advisor. So we are going to use that phrase, unfortunately, struggling to get a seat at the table <laughs> again. Now, I sort of always see this as being quite a cause and effect. If you don't have a plan, if you don't have yeah. more than sort of clear objectives, if you haven't got good measurement, then it may be that you won't be seen as a trusted advisor these things go hand in hand yeah and I think your cause and effect model that you did on this research last year was brilliant and it's so true because you can't have a seat at the table for want of a better phrase without earning that we've already said they're not doing any comms training or coaching so why have a seat at the table if you're not there to enable other people and coach and advise then what are you bringing to the table in Mm. the first place Mm. Mm. and again we don't know the level in the organization so it might be completely appropriate that these 30 percent aren't there and Mm. other people in their Mm. team are so I think trusted advisors is an important part for us to play and I think that making sure that there is someone that's playing that role at the table is important so if you're sitting in HR or you're sitting in investor relations or corporate affairs then making sure that your voice is heard through them is important but I don't ever expect us to get to a point where we've got 100% of people being seen as trusted advisors just because of the different levels of how people operate in organisations. Boardrooms would get incredibly busy. They if would, that was, yes. If that Lots was of the comms case. people. <laughs> just, just having a nice chat. <laughs> 
it's lots of fun, but not necessarily terribly strategic. <laughs> I have updated that cause and effect chart, so I'll make sure a link to that goes in the, the show notes. But it was just really to say, if you feel you might have got stuck in this position where you're not the strategic advisor, track back. Yeah. And maybe there's a few things you can put in place that might help you get there. So planning, now this is interesting, the report suggests that we still need to get a little bit better at planning. So even basic planning tools are only present in 57% of organisations, only 38% have a written IC strategy. Now this comes back to your earlier point, maybe the business plan is not clear, so maybe therefore our IC plan's not clear. But what I think the report's saying is that some of the basic planning tools aren't in place. And that's important because I do see that a lot. I see communications teams working really hard and long hours and getting things done, but there isn't an overarching plan or strategy to do that. And it's easy to be busy fools. And I'm not saying that's what people are doing, but you can get really busy doing stuff that's not helping the business move forward. And without a strategy or a plan, that for me is the risk. I also think we aren't learning enough from our peers in marketing and even some of our peers in external communications around our stakeholder analysis. So we tend to maybe look at employees as one group or we might break them out in terms of where they're based geographically. But there are fundamental differences in the way that people work. And whether that's, you know, remote workers driving a bus, you know, working in a cafe, the way that they work is very different. Right. And we don't drill into that very much. We're very good at that sort of blanket approach, partly because we're time poor, we're budget poor. Yes. And, and therefore, you know, let's just get it done and we'll do everybody in this way. That's the piece for me that if you've got good time to think about your strategy and your plan, you're breaking it down by your stakeholders and your audience groups. And that's the piece that I would like to see us doing more of. So we can't blame businesses completely saying they haven't got business plans because I'm sure they do. But we have to do our own bit there. And the stakeholder piece is one of the big bits that I see missing quite a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when we talk about barriers later on, we see that an obstacles, the survey suggests that noise, this mm. overwhelming degree of noise in the organisation is a big problem. And for me, if you haven't got a simple plan, say, for example, a channels framework that says, these are my channels, this is their core purpose, this is who they're targeting, mm-hmm. the frequency, and this is how I measure success against those channels, mm-hmm. then you are going to get a lot of noise mm. because yes. it's not clear what you should be putting where and when. And as a function, you can't then govern that. So if people come to you and say, oh, can you send this out? You don't have something to go back to them to say, actually, this belongs in this channel over here, so it'll go mm. up next mm. week. You're kind of at the mercy of everyone else's requests, which makes it completely air traffic control for the function. Yeah. So having that sort of framework and governance, you're right, is that absolutely what you need in order to be able to sort of manage it and be successful but I do think that you were saying that there is that element of being able to kind of you know your channel your measurement what's it for what's your purpose that's important but also making sure that you've got that overall plan over the top Mm. to make sure that you're looking at the content that's going into those because that's the bit that this report lacks for me and again why I did the research last year to look at content as well because there might be so much noise but what is that noise is it that I'm being bombarded with news about my department when actually I want to know how the organization's doing or is it that I've got so much industry news that I don't know what my department's doing so where's the content mapped into this because that's equally important for us to get right yes that would be very interesting actually wouldn't it what is this noise yeah yeah absolutely absolutely now That leads us probably neatly into that old chestnut of measurement. There is still this rather concerning picture, I think, that, I mean, basically what this report's saying, that measurement hasn't changed much since about 2016. 59% do not produce regular reports on their activities and impact. And talking to Lee about this, I was saying, you almost have to work quite hard not to do measurement these days of some kind of measurement because Mm. some of it's baked into your channels, although that might just be, you know, volume and metrics, there's still something there that you can get your teeth into what do you think the problem is with measurement why do we struggle with it so much (laughs) i love the measurement question because i was really rubbish at measurement when i was in health Um, you would admit into that i am i am i didn't produce any regular reports if i'd have completed this report you know three years ago when i was head of communications i would have said i don't do any formal measurement And I didn't, partly because I didn't need to. I was measuring what we were doing because we were doing lots of digital transformation work around the globe. So we were trying to save money by using digital channels to change that. So my measurement was I can save this much money by doing this 
and everyone was happy. And that's right. partly because the way the business was going and it was very financially driven. But I didn't need to do sort of specific measurements on anything else because they just cared about that bit. Now, if I was going to do a health and safety campaign or it was a customer service engagement piece that the customer service team wanted to do, they had their objectives and they were the same as my objective. So if they had success and they saw behaviour change, that was success for me. Right. I didn't measure something different about how many people received the desk drop or how many no. people clicked on an email no. because I wanted to make sure that the behaviours were being changed. So that's why I didn't necessarily measure she says with confidence. But it's interesting talking to people, again, when teaching the certificate and diploma, how different the measurement needs to be depending on the maturity of your communications function. Right. And this is something that we're looking at with the CIPR inside group who are working with IOIC and PRCA to look at measurement this year because it's something we need to look at as a whole industry, clearly demonstrated by this report. But actually... I think it depends on what you're doing. So if as an internal comms function, your core role is channels mm. and you are you know, running a magazine, you're running an intranet, then your, your measurement is on how many people are reading that magazine, how many people are engaging with that content. Measurement that I know you guys know very well at AB mm. from mm. all the work you mm. do with your clients. And that's fine. The measurement I was doing was on kind of business change and financially driven. And that's different because I wasn't just about channels. Yes. So we talk about measurement in a very broad approach. But actually, I think we need to get a bit narrower in looking at it and looking at what's appropriate, depending on what your function is there to do. Because yes. internal comms is so broad and it's different in every organisation I've ever worked in. Yes. And everyone I talk to is doing something slightly different. And I think that's the bit for us to try and join together. So yes. not just look at it as a blanket, we're not very good at measuring, but let's get a bit narrower and maybe try and make it a bit easier that if you're doing this, then you measure this. If you're doing this, then you measure this. Yes, absolutely. I think that's simpler. Than yes. just, it's a bit like the line managers again. We've made it a big mountain that we don't want to climb. Yes. <laughs> and yes. we just surrendered at the bottom. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think you only need three or four measures if they're tied very much to the outcomes that the business are looking to deliver whether that's a cost reduction or an increase in productivity mm-hmm. or a decrease in and a health and safety incidents or tackling attrition yeah. rates or whatever it is as long as you tie that in and bake that into what the business is trying to achieve it shouldn't be yeah. that complicated necessarily plus you're right there's a lots of measurement around channels that you could be doing mm. measuring understanding influence yeah it all depends on what you're doing and what the purpose of your function is inside your organisation. I mean, if you start there and really look at what you're trying to achieve as a function, then being able to measure against that should be really easy. It doesn't necessarily have to be numbers. It could be NPS scores of how you work with other functions. It, it can be lots of mm. lots of different ways of measuring. Um, mm. Interestingly, you know, poll surveys have gone down in the Gatehouse report, which I think is slightly strange because it's all I hear about from people. Yes. But we're obviously trying different things and looking at different ways of doing it. Mm. And, and I wouldn't get hung up on it having to be the way that you might have in your head or the way you see other people doing mm. it. You know, mm. find your own way and make it right for what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I was working with one client many years ago, didn't have any time or any budget. They used to stand outside. They were lucky. They were all in uh, about three or four big buildings in the US. They used to stand outside the front door of those buildings with a, literally a pen and a pen and just mm-hmm. ask people questions as they went in and went out again. Yeah. Really low tech, really low budget, but they got a sense check. Yeah. And that's when we did the remote work research, which I've done with... Social optic. We went with an iPad, and that literally that five minutes can mm. just go through and just let us mm. know. That's just time. And yeah. again, it comes back to we just don't have the time anymore. No, no, absolutely. Right. So then, let's move on to what the IC teams in the Gatehouse report are talking about as being the barriers and obstacles to communication. We've touched on this a little bit. This excessive volume. I think this is the first time, and it may be because it's an international survey that line managers or sort of communication skills amongst leaders are not top of the bill here. We've got this excessive volume and lack of time for employees to engage with messages. Could this just be the number of channels, the wealth of channels, the amount of content that's being pumped out across organisations? This is just this deluge of information creating a problem. Do you think it's probably that? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it is. I think if you look at it, 
with all the other data that we've already looked at around this, the lack of planning and, and some of those things, that if you don't have that and you're just being air traffic control and just churning out content, then it is going to create a lot of noise. Mm. If you're not tailoring that content to people, we know this year and last year, personalisation is so important. If you're not tailoring that content, then it is just noise. You know, mm. I was looking at some stuff recently where things went out saying, sort of, dear stakeholder, and, oh, and the, the subject line wasn't didn't really tell me anything. And I said, you know, you've got to be really clear. You're fighting amongst these people doing their job and mm-hmm. you're fighting amongst them having to get the kids from school or do an Amazon shop or mm-hmm. you know do all the other things that they're doing and buying their magazine that they want to read you're fighting against all of that mm-hmm. so you've got to make sure that whatever you're doing is absolutely on point and that's why I think it's we're just being really noisy and I don't think it's us I think where we've stopped communicating as much sort of face-to-face we're reliant on technology more that's creating more noise so the number of notifications you get on your phone yes you know god if i have my phone off on a flight you get you land after a few hours and it's bing 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 bing, and you've (laughs) got to spend 45 minutes to an hour trying to work out what you've missed and what's going on you know that's the norm for a lot of people every day and i think there's just so much noise now in general not just in comms but in general for people yeah Uh, and i don't want internal communicators necessarily feel that this is solely their responsibility because that noise level could be coming from any part of the organisation it doesn't mean that the comms function is responsible for all that noise that could be coming from their line manager who's an excessive communicator and sends them things all the time yes and you're absolutely right I think we see this with all of our clients we do these audits and this noise volume is a real problem and they're looking blankly saying well I'm not creating all this noise and they're absolutely right they're not as you say it's coming from across the organization but I think if internal communications could play their part in making sure that what the content that they produce is as you say incredibly beautifully written really easy to read it's been a b tested so I know it has to go out Mm -hmm. at 9 30 on a Friday morning not 8am on a Wednesday for example because in my organisation I know that that's when it's most likely to be read I know the subject line that's going to turn people on and turn people off I've tested all that to the nth degree we could just do such a great service for our employees couldn't we to say one trusted source of information if you read nothing else here's the 60 second video or here's the quick email summary at the end of the week it's not it's not but it's being that funnel again and with more and more digital channels coming in that loss of control that communicators often feel because you've opened up this sort of free world as I called it when I got one (laughs) where everyone can post everything and then there's all this noise because that funnel has stopped so it's finding a way to be a funnel whilst encouraging peer-to-peer conversation at the Mm. same time but being that trusted source but if you're not coaching advising you're not planning you're not doing all those things Mm. then you're not going to be able to do all of those those bits that add the value of being able to be that one-stop shop if you like right so get those building blocks in yeah yeah now gatehouse also asked people to talk about what their priorities are going to be for the years ahead I'm just wondering if you've got any surprises in that list there. Upskilling, for me, in terms of I see people's own skills, wasn't particularly high on the list. And I, I'm a little bit worried about that. Measurement, developing an IC strategy, enhancing line manager communication are all things probably that we should see there. Any yeah. particular concerns <laughs> all of them all of them we should be doing all um, of them all of them the upskilling for me is really important you know i'm heavily involved in the chartered institute of public relations therefore by association i'm incredibly passionate about continuous professional development it's my job to make sure that i'm up to date with the latest trends i know what's happening i could advise people and that was my job when i worked in house for 14 years it's not changed mm. just because i'm now a consultant it's still the same so that worries me a lot but what worries me more is that the barriers and the priorities aren't aligned so okay. we've got these barriers that we're saying this is what we really struggle with and yet our priorities are not linked to the things we struggle with and it was the same last year and I, I really struggle with that I don't understand why they're not aligned because it is almost like we've just given up on the stuff that's too hard mm. uh, and we're focusing on the things that maybe we find easier or is what we think everyone else is doing but mm. if we could get back to those basics of you know upskilling ourselves developing a strategy spending time with people to enhance their skills as a line manager that human connection that human beings piece mm. it's easy to sit and build 
and internet and, and do new digital tools and get lost in that world but actually these are people we are people yes and that social connection is so important so there's a big worry for me in some of those priorities yeah yeah no I would I would totally agree with that and if people are struggling with their priorities they can just ask their senior stakeholders and their audiences what they would prioritize for internal communications it doesn't have to be more difficult than that really no, does it and it's great to see that alignment shift in the report mm. this year that that alignment between leadership and internal comms functions has moved because that was a, a bit of a worry as well mm. that's good so if we've got that alignment then our priorities should be aligned to what the leadership is saying we need to do but if we're seeing an issue then that doesn't mean that we are just dictated to by what the leadership wants mm-hmm. us to do it needs mm. to all kind of work together and that's our expertise. You know, we are experts in mm. communication. So we need to bring that into the conversation to make sure that we're doing that bottom up as well as that top down piece. Yeah, yeah, no, no, makes perfect sense. So now turning to channels and Gatehouse put face to face first, which I think is very wise. As mm-hmm. we know, it's still the most effective form of communication. We've seen large scale conferences on the up and uh, sort of smaller, more informal roadshows and town halls falling slightly down the list of what people are doing. I'm guessing it possibly is because we've got Vision 2020 uh, (laughs) presentations coming up for every organisation around the world and everyone wants to do this, what used to get called in the 80s, the sheep dipping exercise. And we're going to immerse everyone in 2020. They always slightly worry me. I don't know how you feel about them, but... Well, I used to do an annual conference. We used to do it every year. So it was, you know, 500 store managers would get together and we would cheat dip them in the strategy for the next year. But it was great because it was about recognition. It was about hearing from them and what they were doing. And it was, you know, completely interactive day. So I think doing them is really good. And fighting for the budget to do that is really important because it's something different to what people are used to doing right so I do think they are important but I think however you can do it depending on your budget you know face-to-face is the best way to communicate because you've got your body language you've got your tone of voice you've got everything in there whereas with just email or newsletters you lose so much of the communication in there so the more we can do them the better yes but I think look at ways to do them I've done a mixture I've done roadshows I've done big conferences I've done both in the same year you know it depends what the business is doing and and what's needed but the amount of change that's going on in organisations would suggest that there is a need for more face-to-face because that's the best way to engage and communicate with people. And it does come back to sort of maybe people looking at the coaching and leadership skills, communication skills, then if you're going to put leaders in front of audiences, then yes, you need... Sure. They're confident communicators, Jenny's giggling. But, um, I've, I've had some really difficult conversations with leaders in the past and I know it's really hard sometimes when you've got someone on the stage who, and I've had somebody say to me, why should I even care what they think? They're not people that I even need to really talk to on a daily basis. And my yeah. sort of soul <laughs> sort of died of it. And we, we spent a long time, you know, working through me explaining why they were important and understanding the fears of that individual and why they were sort of so anti doing it because actually it just took time to build that relationship and then mm. we present you know hours before every conference we would be doing scripts before because we have to know how they work and what works best for them but again that's time in the relationship and there are challenges with leaders some leaders hate presenting some love it some love it but they're rubbish at it you know yes. it's never easy it's never easy <laughs> but if you really want to sort of cement a powerful personal relationship with the leader there's nothing better than doing something like a large-scale event or a series of road shows Absolutely. to get very up and close and personal to find out what makes them tick yeah it's yeah. the best way. Yeah, yeah. So digital, it's a slightly odd picture. I mean, the effectiveness of digital channels has risen in this survey, which I guess is a good thing. The use of blogs is down. Well, I think that's kind of possibly what we're seeing in the marketplace mm-hmm. in general. A very small percentage who are using bots find them highly effective, but bots haven't yet kind of taken over the world. We'll wait and see, but I don't think that's very far away before they become a little bit more mainstream. Mm-hmm. Email still dominates. So potentially no real surprises in the digital channel mix there yeah i think you know looking at the ones that got not effective at all was really the chatbots and unfortunately podcasts (laughs) what are we doing i know let's go (laughs) but i think part of that is how we're doing it so right i i understand the chatbots i think podcasts are really good inside organisations. I have clients that use them. I think they're great. I just don't think we integrate them into the channel mix. No, and I okay. think that's where the challenge is there. Right, okay. But, you know, the email still dominates. 
And I saw a tweet last week from someone saying every email not sent is somebody's joy being brought or something. Right. And I thought, God, we've got to get over this issue with email because it is the business tool that we use. It's where everybody is. We just have to learn to be better at using it rather than just trying to move everybody into something else. Yeah. So I'd like to see that sort of shift a bit. But I think... You know, you're right. There aren't really any surprises. You're right about blogs in the round. That's down. Stephen Waddington blogged, I think, just last week saying blogs were down. Where have all the blogs gone? Where have all the blogs gone? And the conversation is happening not on blogs. It's happening on social media. But that's, again, because it should be integrated and, and there should be lots of ways to have those conversations. So, no, no real surprises. But I'd like to see podcasts doing better. Yes. Well, you never know. We could be starting a trend or sort of joining one. Let's put it that way. Also, no surprises that Yammer hasn't really taken over the world. People are turning it on because it's part of Office 365. And Workplace. Workplace by Facebook making inroads. It's only been around for a couple of years. Lee Smith was saying that he just thinks that Workplace is at the minute prohibitively expensive for very large organisations, which is those that have it like it, but it's expensive. So maybe that might be the reason. I think, well, you know, the Facebook brand isn't having a great time. So that's probably not happening. Good point. <laughs> Good point. But I think the investment in the time that needs to go with the introduction of social channels, you're not just turning on something new. It was quite easy years ago before we had digital channels. You could create a new magazine and it was great to see that print magazines are still doing a great job in the survey. But that didn't require behaviour change. You know, I can give you a magazine, I'd like you to read it, and you may change your behaviour on the back of reading it. But that was all I was doing. Yes. When I introduce Yammer or Slack or Workplace or whatever that might be, I'm asking you to change how you work. Yes. And that's very different. And that's a different skill that we need to learn and be able to offer organisations as communicators. But again, we need the time in order to be able to make that change happen. You can't just turn it on and walk away. And that's what we've seen time and time again. Yes. That, you know, we're launching a new app. Great. Next week, we'll just turn it on. Yes. Do you not think we should talk about content or channel strategy or a launch programme or any of the other things that might go with that? It'll just spontaneously erupt in everyone. People will just love it and they'll (laughs) all download it and it will be just brilliant it doesn't work like that no. and I think that's the bit for me that is different to how we maybe communicated you know 15 years ago yeah so it really comes down to having that channel framework again if you know what your platforms are where that content's going to be lived where it lives and mm-hmm. breathes but then you know what social channels you're using to amplify and have a conversation around that content and you map all that out possibly then as you say they become a little bit more integrated they mm-hmm. feed off each other and you're maximizing one piece of content many times yeah. creating a conversation around it Mm -hmm. which creates then more content for later on and you're measuring something that's end-to-end so yeah it could work all as one and that's the thing to look at yeah so it could work now budgets oh yes so gatehouse is saying that the average monthly ic spend per employee in a business of over fifty thousand employees is equal to the cost of a single chocolate bar So that's saying the biggest organisations are spending less than £1 per person per month on communicating. I mean, I have to say, none of this strikes me as surprising. We have known for a long time, I always make the joke, this is why no one running an IC agency is driving around in a Lamborghini. Um, (laughs) Budgets have always been slim. Yeah. And you could argue that until we are seen as those trusted advisors that we're really helping the organisation drive forward and everyone understands Mm -hmm. our role in driving performance, we're going to struggle to get more budget. Would that be fair? I think that is fair, but I used to spend everybody else's money and that is much easier to do than try and get more budget. So I would have my budget, which was for my magazine, it was for my conference, it was maybe for a bit of training and then I'd always have a bit of buffer in there because I knew something would come up. But Whenever I'd start a year or I'd start the budget process, I'd be talking to every single function to understand what they were doing that year, where they were going to need comms support. Did they have budget for that piece of work? Whether it included comms or not at this stage was irrelevant because it would in the end. Yes. Um, But what did they need me to do? And then I could go back and say, right, well, you're going to need some money because this is a great project, but you're going to need a campaign. You can't just use the magazine and the internet. So we're going to need maybe 10 grand, five grand in order to do that. And they'd either say yes or no, or we'd find cleverer ways of doing it. But it's having those conversations and mm. using other people's budgets. Honestly, 80% of the stuff I did was other people's budgets. Yeah. I had my core pot, 
yeah. that's everything else with other people's and yeah. that's part of having those conversations and having a seat at the table of where the conversations are absolutely and being strategic and planning and all of those things yeah. because I don't think it's going to shift because also with this without looking at the data in more detail that doesn't say whether that's including your SharePoint or other channels that might come in or your conference might come out of a different pot because it might come out of the CEO's budget not the comms budget so actually if you look at everything in in the round of how you communicate as an organization there's probably a lot more money in there that we just don't realize because it's not been allocated to communication yes that's absolutely brilliant advice so anyone's sat there saying i can't do all these things or i certainly can't help because i just don't have the money you don't need to have the money yourself someone else will someone else will have the money and And i was a team of one and didn't have a big budget so i'm not saying that with you know hordes of people behind me to make things happen Mm. it's just having the conversations Mm. and working out if it's a priority for that function and they're being measured on this then I need to help them make sure that's a success. Mm. And to do that, we're going to need to find a little bit of money. Yeah, absolutely. Wise advice. Gatehouse's conclusions are fairly... I was going to say damning, that's too strong. But they say, we have to accept the blame for the lack of resources, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and drive a more strategic approach. Are they right to be that pessimistic and that harsh in their conclusions, you think? I mean, it's a bit damning, isn't it? But I I don't think they're wrong. I think I've always said, you know, be the best you can be. You know, if you're going to work in this industry profession, however you want to talk about internal comms, then be the best you can be at it. You know, if you're going to do a magazine, then be amazing at doing that magazine. You know, get experts in to help you if you don't know. There's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. There's plenty Mm. of people out there that will help you. And I think that that's what this says to me is that there's so much opportunity and we've seen a huge shift in strategy and planning and they are great strides from last year. But if we want to go even further forward, then we have to take responsibility for that. That's on us. No Mm. one's going to do it for us. Mm. So Mm. if we want to measure and we want budget and we want those things, then we have to find a way to do that. And that's hard. You know, Mm. I've worked... God, I've had some really challenging conversations where I've had to go in and say to my CEO, I don't know what you mean by value when you talk about internal comms. I just don't understand. Mm. And that's really hard to have some Mm. of those conversations, but we have to do it. Mm. And it made me a better communicator for doing it because I had difficult conversations. I changed my approach. I had to really think about what my function was there to do because it wasn't about engaging a workforce. It was a completely different approach to being efficient and effective and and that's a whole different mindset but mm. that challenge helped me thrive and you can either take that challenge and wave that flag at the bottom of the mountain and say it's mm. too hard or mm. ask for some help there's mm. loads of people out there that want to help and make sure that we're all doing the best we can do for organizations absolutely if there's one thing about a profession we know that everyone is very happy to chip yeah. in with an idea recommendation a best practice case study so yeah. do ask never absolutely. feel you, you're I mean, stuck the ic crowd and the big yak is a great example of that. that's why we did it because yes there's always people that are willing to share advice and ideas Mm. to other people. Most people have either done it or tried it and can get some experience, so use them. Yeah, perfect advice, perfect. So my final question would be, what do listeners need to do based on this report tomorrow if they read it? But probably reaching out and asking for some help around the stuff that you've been struggling with for some time, Mm. especially around getting those fundamentals in place. Your vision for why IC even exists, your plan maybe beyond the next three months 12 months 18 months would be great yeah getting some of those things in place looking for some tools around planning yeah and invest in yourself you know take time to go to a vma breakfast event or you know go to ab thinks live or go to the big yak when it's back next year (laughs) Um, you know there's lots of opportunities to go to things to have conversations and investing in yourself to do that is what will really help you Perfect. Turning very quickly to the Edelman Trust Barometer then, because if listeners are feeling a little bit battered by state of the sector, and they may be, there's quite a lot in the Trust Barometer that I think we could think of as quite, well, if it's not encouraging, it certainly presents us with something of a of an opportunity. So in this kind of void of trust, and I think we can safely say that, in steps the employer-employee mm. relationship. It's now the most trusted relationship people have. That's ahead of NGOs, the media, politicians, no surprise there, but business in general. Is this the opportunity IC's been waiting for? Yes. <laughs> yes, grab it, grab it and, and run with it, please. Yeah, I mean, to have... We talk a lot about being a you know strategic function and, and supporting the board. And we also know that business acumen is not something that is high 
on the list of skills that internal communicators or you know external communicators necessarily have so for me this gives us an opportunity to start having those conversations you know this is giving you permission to go into that boardroom and say here you go this is the latest report this is Richard Edelman talking at Davos about how important work and trust at work is this is why we need to have a conversation about our employees and, and your role as leaders and what that's going to play out like inside this organisation. There's absolutely permission to play. Perfect. And I was encouraged to see people saying that actually they'd quite like their CEOs, if the CEO has a mind to, to stand up, to speak out about the issues that matter, not just within the organisation, but about external issues as well. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, looking for that figure that you would trust in order to be that voice. I think my counsel to internal communicators and communicators generally is, don't force a CEO into a path they don't want to go down. So if your CEO doesn't want to have that voice or be the person to stand for something politically, then then don't make them. They don't have to. But they can be a voice inside the organisation and they mm. can be a strong voice of creating that trust through their behaviours. That's the mm. important piece is through yes. their behaviours. Yes. But I think if they are so politically minded, if they want to have a voice on climate change, then go for it. But mm. how does that play out internally? You know, look at your CSR strategy. What are you doing in the local community? What are you doing to make a difference to society as an organisation? It has to be behaviour-led, not just what we're saying. It has to be in tune with the values and the sort of the business strategy of the organisation. Otherwise, you are going to come a cropper, aren't we? And we've seen that happens yeah. lots, of, lots and lots of time. We stand and we believe in this thing, but that thing up happening over there is slightly odds and I'm going to get found yeah. out in this radically transparent way. <laughs> you have no secrets. Yeah, you don't. So. And, you know, Rachel talked about what goes on on the inside shows up on the outside. And it's so true because you have to make sure that everything is aligned. And uh, I remember reading the, the Trust Report back in 2016 I think where it was showing a clear gap between what people were saying they were going to do and then what they were actually doing at work and that's the same challenge is you can't have that gap if you're going to say right as an organization we're going to stand for this then you absolutely wholeheartedly stand for that mm. yeah as I say you will you will be found out and it also means that employers well it was interesting so employers now have to earn the trust of their people when we see that that's really important from a commercial point of view trust and loyalty and I think Edelman asked this question about you know would I be likely to keep buying the products of an organization if I didn't trust it well people are saying that stop let's see how many people are still on facebook though i was just about to say say, yes i'll stop using it as soon as there's an incredible incredible alternative i'm going to stop but it does mean that if your organization is willing to stand for the betterment of society then go for it i saw Mm. patagonia giving up its profits and handing them all over to charity just the other day we may see the rise of more campaigning organizations potentially yeah i think we will i think the importance of social responsibility you know organizational purpose all the things that we've talked about more and more through the last six months of 2018 i think will start to really come out now and i i think people are less scared of having that voice you know we've had the signs up at pimlico plumbers if you ever go into waterloo on the train you can see that they're taking quite a strong stance on brexit which i shan't repeat but i don't think people are scared anymore but it's a fine line isn't it because I had a Weatherspoons magazine came through my door the other week and I shared that across Instagram saying, what on earth is this? And I sort of missed an entire conversation going on about trying to use your employees for political messages and and employees' backlash that's coming from there. So it's got to be not just right for you as an individual, but the organisation as a whole. And I think that's, it's all got to be nicely aligned and joined up. Otherwise, if you've got a CEO going off and doing something a bit rogue, then you're just going to leave all of the organisation behind and that's not what we want to see. And we saw Google petitioning their leaders not that long mm. ago about the Chinese search engine because they were saying, well, if one of our values, I think it used to be something like, you know, do no evil or something similar, yeah. then how can we have this going on? So you're absolutely right. If it's not aligned, if it's not if it's not the reason why organi- people join that organisation, then they're going to rally against yeah, it. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's why there's the trust at work because people have the opportunity to shape that more. They have mm-hmm. a, a dialogue there. We've seen in the Gatehouse report the increase in two-way conversation. You know, we know that leaders struggle with employee voice as a concept, but we're getting better. All of those things play into everybody feeling like they're able to have that opinion. And that just means that you've got to listen to that more as a CEO and make sure that if you're going to go out there and have a stance, then have that conversation inside first and make sure people know why you're doing it and what's happening and have all of those conversations Mm. to make sure that you don't have people doing a mass walkout because you're doing something that goes against what you're doing. But be 
up for listening to that if you've got an idea like anybody I might have an idea and I might get shot down really quickly you have to listen to that feedback and know okay I wasn't quite right there I'll try something else yeah don't just carry on no have the weight of opinion internally behind you absolutely so this brings us very neatly on to the quick fire questions Jenny (laughs) (laughs) deep breath so what will most surprise people about Jenny Field? Oh, I love this one. I'm talking to my husband about this, saying, what should I say? Should I say that every now and then I play Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> should I say that I was, many years ago, the ladies' champion of Taekwondo? Wow. Or that I'm currently learning sign language. <gasps> so there's three things there that I think would probably surprise people. So you're not going to say that sometimes I'm not sure of my own opinion? No, I'm always sure of my own opinion. Come on. <laughs> You might not like it, but I'm very sure it's my opinion. Just checking, Jenny, just checking. What one book, journal or website should all communicators read? Busy by Tony Crabb. Oh. It was the first book we did at the CIPR Inside Book Club, and I've given it to probably about four clients since then. It's mm. really good. It's really, really good to help you manage your time, understand about how to you know, sort of prioritise people. It's mm. fantastic. I've got it on Audible, actually, so if people think they're too busy to read yes, it, there's another not. way of consuming <laughs> that content. What would you do tomorrow if you knew you couldn't fail? If I knew I wouldn't fail, I would invite... Every CEO from the FTSE 250 to an event to talk to them about the importance of communication. I think we should just do that anyway. Well, yeah, but then they might not turn up, you see. Whereas if I know I'm not going to fail, then I know they're all going to arrive. Okay, so if someone can give us a free venue... (laughs) Yes, for every CEO in a FTSE 250 business, then we will invite them all to come along. Right. free to talk about the importance of communication. You heard it here first, (laughs) folks. I'm looking forward to that event. Okay, so when you think of the world's best communicator, alive or dead, who comes to mind? See, now the definition of communicator is tricky. However, I watched Darkest Hour a few weeks ago and I've read part of the book about Winston Churchill and I do think that his speech writing and how he delivered his speeches was fantastic. I may not agree necessarily with a lot of things in the background, but as a communicator, I think he was actually very good. Thank you very much for that. And finally, so this is borrowed from the Tim Ferriss show. It's such a brilliant question that I just, I have to ask. You can have anything written on a billboard for everyone to see what's written on that billboard. Be the best you can be. Very good, Jenny. Thank you so much for taking part in the Internal Comms podcast. Thank you very much. It's been great. So that's a wrap for another episode of the Internal Communications Podcast with me, Katie McCauley. For links to the reports that Jenny and I discussed and other reference materials, then please go to the show notes on AB's website. We're abcom.co.uk, A-B-C-O-M-M. Now, I'm really keen to hear your feedback and thoughts on the show and in particular your ideas for future guests. There's lots of ways to get in touch. Please comment on iTunes, where you can also rate this podcast, or you can share your views on social media. On Twitter, we're at ABThinks. Alternatively, just email me directly, icpodcast at abcom.co.uk. To make sure you don't miss another episode, then please subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. All that remains is for me to say thank you. Thank you for listening. And until we meet again, remember, it's what's inside that counts.